So one of the things we see here in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, is that Jesus is moved with compassion, and he sees the multitude, he's moved with compassion, but he, there's a specific reason for that. Uh, we see in um, uh, verse 36 that it's not because he didn't know who they were, it's not because uh, they didn't know um, that who they were, or he hadn't been around them. If we look at the whole context of Matthew chapter 9, you see that he's been performing miracles, you see that he's been interacting with them, he's been teaching them. But we see something happens in verse 36, and we'll come back to that in a minute. But he's moved with compassion on them, and the Bible says specifically why. If you look at the last half of the verse, it's because the Bible says, they fainted and were scattered abroad as a sheep, having no shepherd. Uh, so in practical terms, they, they knew who he was, but they knew once he left, he knew once they, he left, there would be no church. There would be no one there to shepherd them, no one there to guide them, no one there to disciple them. And so... We know from Scripture the importance of, uh, of the gospel. We know that Christ died for us, that he loves us, and that he rose again so that we could have eternal life, so that we could have a relationship with him. The Bible says that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. And we understand that you know God loves each one of us, and that's what he desires for us. And so it's with that understanding that we preach the gospel. It's with that understanding that we we share the gospel with other people, and that's our desire and our drive. But we also see a portion of, of him here where he's concerned not just about their salvation, but about their growth. Uh, and, and we understand the, the important role of the local church. And, and so he says they're scattered abroad as a sheep having no shepherd. I want you to stop and think about that for a second. Maybe you've been saved a few weeks, maybe a few months, maybe years. Think about that first church where you got saved in. Uh, maybe where you were discipled or, or where you had good friends that encouraged you, where you heard, heard biblical preaching and teaching. Now think about where you'd be tonight if you didn't have that. If all, you, all you'd been was saved and had no discipleship, if all you had had been saved but had no local church to come and be encouraged, no one to teach you the Bible, no one to teach you and preach to you and show you the love of Christ. I think if we're honest, we'd, we'd say we probably wouldn't even be sitting here tonight. Uh, and that local church is so crucial for the growth of the Christian, for the expansion of the gospel. And so we understand and we know that God does love everyone and that God doesn't want anyone to perish. But we also see the important role of the local church here. Uh, and that if we're going to reach the world, it's going to be through the role of the local church. You and I can go on a missions trip and we can um, hold a VBS and we can see kids saved or we can hold a, uh, a street preaching service or evangelistic service and and see people saved, but if when we leave, there's nothing there, there's no local church, there's not going to be much more growth in that village or in that town. There has to be a local church, and so that's really the focus of our ministry is to come alongside churches, pastors who have a vision and a burden for their village, but are struggling to exist, struggling to feed their families, struggling to grow their church, and help them become self-sufficient and self-supported. Um, and so that's that's really what, what we strive to do. And so that's a foundational belief of ours at Core Missions. Um, and, and so we believe that a, a local national pastor is going to be most effective at reaching his own people with the gospel. Um, but th what that also means, there's some implications for you and me there. That doesn't mean we're scot-free and we're off the hook. That we don't have to evangelize and we don't have to support missions. If the locals are better, we'll just let them do it and we'll sit back and relax. But that's not what the case is. You see, if if uh, the national pastor is most effective and best equipped to reach their own people with the gospel, that means you and I are best equipped to reach our own people with the gospel. 
the people that God has put in our own life and the people that God has placed in our life for us to meet, for us to uh, share the gospel with, for us to disciple, for us to encourage in our local assembly. You know, you can, you can call your pastor, and I know, I know Brother uh, Turner would be happy to pray with you over someone that you're burdened about that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, and he would be happy to go and share the gospel with them. Uh, but the truth is, there's people that God has put in our life that only we can reach, that he specifically tasked us to reach them with the gospel. And so we can't just pass the buck. We have to uh, figure out how to disciple or, or, or how to disciple them if they're believers, how to reach them if they're unbelievers. And we have to figure out how to be effective with the people God has placed in our own life. And so I want to take a second and just kind of look at this portion of Scripture and look at some practical ways that we can be effective in world evangelism, some practical ways that we can be engaged in mission. I think all of us here tonight, if you've been here for the conference so far and heard some of the messages, uh, understand the important role that you and I have in reaching our town uh, with the gospel. Uh, Vancouver and, and Burnaby won't be reached with the gospel if this local church does not engage people with the gospel. If we just come and meet and don't ever outreach and, and we never preach the gospel and we never do anything, um, we can't reach this community with the gospel. And so we, we know we have to do that. So let's look at some practical ways. I just want to share a few practical ways, some practical things tonight that we could do to be effective and to engage others uh, in not just the gospel but also in world missions. Um, one of the great things that the disciples had at their time was the ability to follow Jesus physically. I mean, they walked with him. They spent time with him. Uh, they, they, they didn't have the Bible. They had him. And so can you imagine what life would have been like then? Uh, not just hearing him, but, but watching him, um, seeing what he did, how he interacted, how he communicated. Um, and so we have the words of Christ, and we have stories, and we have parables but we can also see some of the things through the text of his life. We might have not walked with him beside him, but we can still see some of the things that he did. Uh, and the Bible says he's our example. And, and so we'll look at him tonight as our example um, in missions. And so look at verse 36 again. There's some practical things that we can learn from viewing Christ as our example uh, when we talk about evangelism and as we talk about world missions. Now, the first thing we see is that he saw the multitude. Uh, if we're going to be effective in obeying the Great Commission, if we're going to be effective in reaching our neighbors and our friends and our family with the gospel, we first have to take time to see the multitude. Uh, we first have to be able to see the people in our life that God has placed there for us to reach. Now, you may say, well, I don't, I don't know many people. Um, I don't interact with many people. I, maybe I'm a homebody, or maybe most of my friends and family are safe, uh, or maybe uh, I don't get around much, and so I don't know many people. Um, but the truth is that almost every day we interact um, with people each and every day, whether it's at the grocery store, whether it's at the coffee shop, whether it's at the gas pump, uh, whether it's your neighbor. We interact with people all the time. So I want you to stop and think about this. The first thing that Christ did here in this portion of Scripture, before he was moved with compassion, he saw the multitude. Now, this wasn't the first time he'd seen them, but something happened uh, between verse 35 and 36 that caused him to stop, take a second, and see the multitude. I can almost imagine a pause here. Maybe he's walking with the disciples, um, and he just stops and, and looks around and realizes what's going on. And realizing, taking in the moment, he realizes that there's a ton of people out here. Uh, and when he, when he sees all the people 
that he has the opportunity to influence, then he's moved with compassion. But we can't be moved with compassion. We can't reach the lost. We can't um, evangelize the world if we don't take time to see the multitude. And so we can't um, overlook the fact that God has put people in our own life for us to interact with, whether that's to share the gospel, whether that they're already Christians, for us to encourage or disciple. So I want you to stop and think tonight. Uh, what do the multitudes look like for you? Just practically speaking here, who are, the, who are your multitudes? Who are the people that God has placed in your life? Uh, stop and think about that. Think of five people this week, or maybe even today, that you interacted with. Maybe at work or at school, uh, maybe at the grocery store, maybe at the gas pump. Think of five people that you interacted with today. Maybe you don't know their names. Maybe you just remember their faces. Those are our multitudes. Those are the people that God has directly called us to influence, directly called us to reach with the gospel. Uh, and so we have to take time to see the multitude. It's easy for us to get so busy in our own life uh, that we don't take time to even notice people around us. I'm, I can be guilty of this so often uh, because I'm very uh, driven. I'm very motivated to stay busy and accomplish as much as possible. And I don't like being bored. I don't like being idle. And so uh, sometimes I plan my days to be very busy because that's what I like. But if I'm not careful, I can go through my day uh, and, and accomplish many things that have to be done or that need to be done, even for the sake of the ministry, and ignore everyone that I come in contact with. I, I don't even realize who, who I've seen. I don't even think about who they are. Maybe I don't even get their name. Uh, maybe I, I don't realize their spiritual condition or take time to even think about their spiritual condition. And so it's so easy for us to get so busy that we fail to see the multitudes, that we fail to see the people in our own life that God has placed there for us to reach. And so if we're going to be effective in obeying the Great Commission, if we're going to be effective in our witness and our testimony in growing Anchor Baptist Church, if we're going to be effective in world evangelism, we first have to take time to see the multitude. So what does the multitude look like for you? And then notice he took time to see the multitudes, and then something happened. The Bible says after he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Um, now we, we need to stop and define compassion, uh, because you can ask many people what compassion means, and, and you're going to probably hear many different answers. Some people may say, well, compassion is love. Um, some people may say compassion is being helpful. Some, compassion is being kind or, or showing brotherly love. But that's not what compassion is. If we look at Scripture and look at a, a biblical definition here for compassion, compassion is a, a painful sympathy. Compassion is a, is a sorrow for someone else's condition so strong that it comes from our heart, from our deepest being. The Bible uses the term from our bowels. And so this compassion creates in us a desire to do anything and everything we can to alleviate the suffering person from their suffering. So if we're moved with compassion, we're going to do anything and everything we can to alleviate this person's suffering. So when Jesus here sees the multitude and is moved with compassion, he's looking around and he's seeing all these people and he's realizing um, that, that they don't have a church, that they don't have a shepherd, that they don't have a pastor. And he sees the multitude and it causes him to be moved with compassion. Um, and we're going to see the instructions he gives his disciples in a little bit, um, but we can't get the cart before the horse. Uh, we can't see what we need to do and take action if we don't take time to see the multitudes in our own life, if we don't take time to be moved with compassion. And so the Bible says here that Jesus saw the multitude and he was moved with compassion for them. When was the last time that you were moved with compassion for someone else? Maybe someone you saw hurting, uh, and so you... you 
did everything you could to help them alleviate that pain. Maybe someone was having trouble walking in from, from the car into church, so you go out and you, you give them your arm, you give them your shoulder, you help them in. Uh, you, you make sure the path is clear. You make sure the door is open. Why? Because you want to do everything you can in your power to alleviate their suffering. You don't want them to, to cause more suffering by tripping and falling or, or anything like that. Uh, maybe spiritually speaking, you're moved with compassion because you know someone isn't saved and you know that if they don't uh, hear the gospel, if they don't learn about the love of Christ um, and don't decide to accept him as their savior, that they're going to spend eternity in hell and they're going to be separated from him forever. And so your, your compassion for them causes you to do anything and everything possible uh, to help them come to know Christ as their savior. Uh, so that causes you to give them a gospel tract. That causes you to invite them to church. That causes you to share the gospel with them. That causes you to maybe take them to lunch or bring them a coffee in the morning um, or have them over to your house for games and dinner. It causes you to, to become their friend and invest in their life so that they might hear the gospel, take it seriously, and be affected by it. And so you're doing anything and everything in your power to bring them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So that's what compassion looks like for, for someone that isn't saved. Maybe, maybe you have compassion for someone who just got saved and you want to be there to disciple them. You want to help them understand the importance of baptism and you want to show them uh, the doctrines of the Bible and you want to encourage them and help them grow as a believer. Uh, if you're moved with compassion towards that, you're going to do everything you can to encourage them. Uh, you're going to text them. You're going to share the scripture with them. You're going to make sure they're coming to church and you're going to invite them to your house and show how God has worked in your life and you're going to try and encourage them to read their Bible and pray and, and, and grow as a Christian. And so when we allow ourselves to be moved with compassion, it causes us to have action. And so Jesus here was, was taking time to see the multitude and allowing himself to be moved with compassion. Um, and we saw the reason he was moved with compassion. Um, and so he gives his disciples some instruction. And I love that because he doesn't just see the problem. He sees the problem and then tells us how we can help with the solution. So let's look at what he in, describes for his disciples to do. Look at verse 37. Then he saith he unto his disciples... The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth more laborers into his harvest. So the next thing we see are some instructions from Christ. We see his example to us and taking time to see the multitude and allowing ourselves to be moved with compassion for them, seeing what needs to be done. And so he saw the need and he turns to his disciples and tells them specifically the solution to the need, the solution to the problem. So in verses 37 and 38, he turns to his disciples and says, because there's these sheep with no shepherd, you need to go out and plant as many churches as you can. That's what the Bible says in that verse, right? No, it doesn't. He tells his disciples they need to, um, they need to pray. The solution is just prayer. Um, the Bible says, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. Now the word pray here um, isn't necessarily the same word that's used everywhere else in the Greek. Uh, this word here is more of a begging. It's not pray for your dinner or maybe pray that, that someone feels better later uh, if they're not feeling great or have a headache. This is a, a begging God uh, for laborers. This is a sincere desire to see something happen uh, and, and to see a solution to the problem. And so he's begging his disciples to pray, therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. So the next thing we see Christ doing after seeing the multitude and, and being moved with compassion in this text, is he's telling his disciples 
some instructions, and he gives them instructions. He tells them to pray. Now, let me ask you something. If God answered all your prayers from yesterday, how many people would it affect? Would your entire family know that God answered all your prayers? Uh, would your church family know that everything you prayed for got answered? Uh, would the people in Israel and Gaza know tonight that God answered all your prayers? How many people would it affect? How many people would be saved? How many churches would be planted if God answered all your prayers from yesterday? Just stop and think about that for a second, because I think as Christians, a lot of times, we pray selfishly. Uh, and I don't mean that to sound bad. The Bible tells us to pray for certain things. We're supposed to pray for our health. We're supposed to pray for protection. We're supposed to pray for all those things. We're supposed to pray for each other. Say, well, if I'm praying for someone else, how is that selfish? Well, most of the time we're praying for someone else because we care about them. And so we want them to be healed. We want them to come to Christ. We want them to grow or to get a job or whatever that prayer request is. Um, but here he gives us some specific requests that we're supposed to pray for. And he tells us here that we are to pray for laborers. And so um, you might be thinking, well, if I start praying for laborers, what happens if God calls me to be a laborer? Uh, sometimes people will use excuses. They don't want to go to church because it, it might make them feel bad or they might get convicted. Uh, sometimes we worry about what might happen if we do something. But God isn't telling us all to be missionaries. God doesn't want all of us to be missionaries, all of us to be pastors. Sometimes we, we get so focused on the what if that we forget to just follow the first task and just pray. And so he's just telling his disciples, pray for laborers. And so if God says, to pray, that's what we should be doing. And then he gives us also a guarantee. It's not, he doesn't tell us to do something um, without knowing if it's going to be successful. Uh, so many times in life, someone tries to tell us something, uh, you know, if you'll invest in this, you'll be a millionaire. If you'll take these pills, you'll be healthy. Uh, if you don't do this, you'll live forever, right? Everyone's trying to guarantee us things in this world. And there's not many things that are a guarantee in this world. You could go out and your new car could not start. Uh, you could get home and, and find that your house um, maybe caught fire while you're at church. You know, God forbid that might happen. Uh, but there's so many things that we think are guarantees in this life that really aren't. But when Christ gives us a guarantee in Scripture, it's a guarantee. And so it's not going to be a waste of time. It's not going to be something that maybe uh, we, we could have done better if we did something else instead. So he tells us if we'll pray, if we'll beg God for laborers, is that me or outside? I guess it's outside. All right. Those are, the, those are the distractions he mentioned. All right. So if we'll pray and if we'll, we'll ask God for laborers, then we see a, um, a promise here. Look at this text again. He turns to his disciples in verse 37 and says, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous. So he says, before there's even a solution of praying, he promises them a harvest. And so if Christ tells us here, if we'll pray, there's a harvest, we know that if we pray, there'll be a harvest, and there'll be more laborers. Um, and he doesn't just tell us uh, that there'll be a harvest. He says a, a, a plentiful harvest. Uh, now, I don't know too much about farming. My grandpa was a farmer, but I am in no way a farmer. But I know there's a certain time of year where you have to plant. And if you decide to go on vacation and you don't plant during that time of year, you, your crop may not ever grow if you plant it outside of that season. Um, there's also a time to harvest. And if that four-week window, you decide to go on vacation for three weeks of it, then you may come home to a crop that's ruined. And so there's certain times to plant, there's certain times to harvest. And so right here he's saying there's a, there's a harvest. 
He's promising a harvest. So he's saying your, your efforts won't be wasted. Our time in prayer won't be wasted. Our efforts um, in, in praying for laborers won't be wasted in this harvest because there is a harvest. He promises us a harvest. But he doesn't just promise us a harvest. The Bible says it's a plentiful harvest. Uh, and so I know there's, you can have a lean harvest and you can have, I think they call it a bumper crop, a, a great harvest. But what he's saying here is there's going to be a plentiful harvest. Uh, and so that's a promise from God. And so uh, as we look at how do we be effective in obeying the Great Commission, how do we be effective in reaching our Jerusalem, how do we be effective at, at, at drawing people to Christ, uh, we have to take time to see them and pray for them and realize their spiritual condition, realize who they are, realize what they need. And then we have to allow ourselves to be moved with compassion for them. Maybe you're not a compassionate person. I'm not a very compassionate person. I have to pray for that. Uh, I have to pray for those kind of things. But God gives them to us. And so uh, as you see the multitude, you'll be moved with compassion. You may not have that now, but you probably aren't seeing the multitude either. And so as we see the multitude, we'll be moved with compassion. And then there's this promise here of the harvest if we'll pray. And so we have a job to do here. We have a role to do here um, in Canada. You have a church that needs you to be effectively reaching the world with the gospel. You have a church that needs you to be sharing the gospel with others and, and being involved in the community. But then we also have a responsibility to pray for laborers. And I believe also if, if we pray for something, we have a, a responsibility to more than just pray. You can't just pray for someone to be saved and not share the gospel with them. You can't be praying for, for a job and never put in an application, never make a phone call. So if we're going to pray for laborers, then we need to be doing everything we can to provide for laborers, to be helping the laborers, praying that God would send more laborers, and then doing everything we can to provide for the laborers that he does send. And so here are some practical things that we can do as a church and as an individual um, to be engaged in missions, to be engaged in reaching your, your community with the gospel. First thing we have to do, obviously, is pray. That's the instruction from God. We have to pray. Pray for laborers. We have to pray for converts. We have to pray for the harvest. We need to be praying uh, people. But then also, we should be giving people. That's why your, your church has faith promise. That's why they're asking you to fill out a commitment card. Is because prayer um, is, is the basis for missions, but missions also takes money. It costs money for, for the Dinsmores to go to Brazil. It costs money for us to go to different countries and meet national pastors. It costs money for those pastors in other countries um, to, to have a church and, and to reach their communities. The fact is it costs money uh, for every, everything and everybody. And so uh, we should be involved in giving. Whether you're a little kid, whether you're an adult, um, giving is something for everyone. And it's an investment in eternity. It's not something you're going to wish you never did. You're not going to wish you hadn't given. You're not going to wish you hadn't been involved in missions. Uh, and so we need to pray. We need to be involved financially. Uh, but we can also be involved personally. Uh, that's something that we can do. We have this age of technology. We have all this technology at our fingertips. We can be engaged personally in missions. You say, well, I can't go live in a foreign country. Great, you don't have to. Um, you have had missionaries come through this week. You have missionaries come through year after year after year. I bet there's a missionary that came through that you felt a connection with, that maybe you fell in love with, maybe someone who you thought, man, that guy's doing a great work over there. I'm, I'm, I'm really impressed. I'm really encouraged by what God is using him to do. Great. Reach out to him. Ask him how you can pray for him. 
Um, share what's going on in your life. Ask for specific things you can pray for. Start developing a relationship with Him. Uh, become His friend. Become a prayer partner with Him. Know what's going on in His life and ministry. Uh, mi- missionaries aren't these people that um, you can't be in contact with now. We have this opportunity. We have this technology at our fingertips to be engaged in missions. So let's not just pray. Let's not just give, but let's be personally engaged in missions. Each one of us can pick out one missionary to be engaged with, um, to, to contact this week, to pray for, uh, to let them know, hey, I'm praying for a- Ask how you can pray for them. Start developing a relationship with them. There are past- there's a pastor friend of mine in India and a pastor in the Philippines who I speak to on a weekly basis now and have for years. That didn't happen because I went and spent two months with them. That happened because we started communicating we started learning about each other's life. We started learning about each other's ministry. We started sharing prayer requests and needs with each other, and we started growing a friendship. And so you can be personally involved in missions right here uh, from Canada. You can be personally involved in, in a ministry going on around the world right here in Canada through praying, through giving, and through being personally involved in missions. I think a lot of times we think, well, I can't do much. I can't, I can't go uh, I'm not called to go, so I guess I'll just pray every now and then, or, or maybe I'll give. That's about all I can do. But we can do a lot more than that, and, and we can be engaged in missions. The, the statistics are, are true, and they're staggering. More missionaries have come off the field uh, than are going. Um, and so we need to be encouragement. Uh, we need to be prayer partners with those who are still there, um, who God has called us to be prayer partners with and to pray for laborers. Maybe we're not seeing laborers sent overseas as much because we're not praying for laborers. And so this is a specific request from God for us to pray for laborers. So let's be engaged as a church. Let's be engaged as an individual. I, I want to challenge you tonight to think of, of some way this week that you can start being more engaged in missions. Uh, maybe you haven't been faithfully praying for a missionary. Um, grab a prayer card in the back and pray. doesn't even have to be mine. You can grab Brother Dinsmore's. Uh, be, in, be involved in praying daily for a missionary. Maybe you haven't ever given before. Decide this week, I'm going to give consistently and faithfully to missions. I'm going to be involved in that way. Maybe you've always prayed and you've always given. Get involved personally. Reach out. I promise you if you reach out to a missionary this week and and start talking with him, he's not going to call Pastor Turner and bite his ear off because someone reached out and wanted to pray for him. He's going to be encouraged by it. That's going to be a big help and a blessing to him. So let's use what God has given us to be an encouragement and a help to missions around the world.